Okay, welcome to the This Is Revolution Movie Night Extravaganza uh, Takeover episode tonight. I'm Forrest Miller, um, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, youtube.com slash Movie Night Extravaganza. Um, but don't worry, This Is Revolution is represented here. We have uh, Pascal Robert, the co-host of This Is Revolution, and a contributor to Black Agenda Report. How's it going? What's going on, Flacco, my man? All right. Um, so this is your favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies? One of my favorite movies. Yes. Yeah. Um, who do you think? Who do you think killed JFK? Do you follow the? Oliver oh, then you went straight into conspiracy. <laughs> uh, my position is that what's it's less relevant. What? Who killed JFK? What's more relevant is what it says about the American power elite that JFK was killed in the way he was killed. And that there is a belief that there's a conspiracy behind his death. What I loved about the film and what I love about the film is that uh, when we're talking about JFK, people are asking what movie we're talking about. We're talking yeah, about, we're talking JFK. about Oliver Stone's JFK, 1991. Right. And uh, not to age myself, I'm actually old enough to have seen it in the theaters. But uh, um, I like that it was a kind of uh, cinematographic indictment of uh, the power elite. You know, mm-hmm. use a term that C. Wright Mills uses in his book to describe the ruling class that governs the uh, military-industrial complex, corporate America, and the uh, overall nation-state. It was a you know marginally subversive kind of indictment of that whole class, and I appreciated that film for that and a variety of other reasons. Okay, well, speaking of the military-industrial complex, we have Deep State Cuba, uh, you know, coming hot. Going to tell us, I guess, tonight at the end of the episode, because, you know, stick around for that, who actually killed JFK. He has, uh, he has the documents right there on his desk. <laughs> who has documents anymore? I have encrypted files. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I guess, in 90s, 90s terms here. You, you didn't get it as a fax? The, well, you know, the, the original telexes are uh, still available if um, you're a purist. It's kind of like... Um, having all your favorite music on vinyl, though, right? It's it really does capture the ambiance much better, but uh, it's a little impractical, especially when you're dealing with um, you know enough paper that you measure it in tons. <laughs> all right, so um, we have uh, <laughs> so we have Gene right now um, producing and. Um, I wanted to start out with this Oliver Stone clip, um, and I and I have a lot to say about it. I think, um, and kind of a theory behind this movie, or a theory of I guess the limits of the imagination of Oliver Stone and, and other people, kind of of his like you know uh, cynical liberal mindset. I guess. So, Gene, uh, can you play that clip? And that's what I was concerned with at that time. Of course, I had a outlook on the world. I was always interested in in the world news and politics. But this woman, uh, Elaine Ray, who had published this book by Jim Garrison called On the Trail of the Assassins, which was his second attempt, 
to write about this assassination. He'd written another book in 1969, Inheritance of Stone. But this one was on the trail of the assassins. It was written like a thriller. She gave it to me in, in an elevator. I mean, it was a whole story there. But I read the book, not right away. I, I, uh, I read it over a period of time, absorbed it. And it was a hell of a detective story. And I loved, uh, you, I, since my film school days, I loved the film Z by Costa Gavras. I hope you remember that, 1969, I believe. Uh, Costa Gavras' story of a, of a murder in Greece, of a political murder, stars Yves Montand. And uh, it's beautifully made film. It unravels as it goes. You find out more and more. And I thought, here, here is the basis for the movie. We could make, we have these events that happen in Dealey Plaza. We show them the way we absorb them on national television. We show all that, the murder the, and the murder of Jack, uh, of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby. And the stunning series of events, the funeral, it all overcomes us with emotion. And that's the way the movie begins. And then the, the, the district attorney of New Orleans, which is a true story, Jim Garris, thought like everybody else, this is, this is the way it was. But then years later, he meets the Senator Russell on the plane in Washington, D.C., off the plane. And they're talking casually about the assassination. And Russell, Richard Russell of Georgia, who was on the Warren Commission, uh, tells him, that he has his doubts about the film and about the shooting and why. So uh, Garrison goes and he starts to read. He reads the uh, the Warren Commission book, which is six volumes, and he reads all the all the details. And then he starts reading all the other stuff he's read or you hear about. He digs deeper and deeper and deeper, and there's a lot of contradictions that emerge right away on the primary evidence. By the way, so that's what hooked him. And we show that in the movie, his development, his obsession, his growth into the, his, his, his growing concern about, because a lot of these events took place in New Orleans, which is where Oswald was stationed for a while uh, prior to the assassination, before he moved, was moved to Dallas. And there's quite a bunch of characters in New Orleans, as you know. It's a very strange and exotic city. I quite liked it. Uh, Garrison... Uh, the thing grows bigger than Garrison ever dreamed. Now I knew Jim and I, you know, I'm telling it from his side, but it was a much bigger story. Eventually it turns into another movie, as you know, where he meets Donald Sutherland at the halfway point. And Sutherland, who's identified only as X, who's based on a, a multiple character called Fletcher Prouty, was a real man, as well as another individual, Richard Nadell. That story is much bigger than the Garrison story. It's a bigger story of a worldwide concept of the foreign affairs, what Kennedy is doing in office, why was he killed, what were the motives? And that's what the movie becomes about. Indeed, if JFK hadn't been assassinated, if his policies had prevailed, what America do you think we would have today? A whole different world, a whole different world. I think his brother was also a progressive. He would have followed. There would have been probably I, hopefully 16 years of Kennedy's, and who knows, Teddy Kennedy was another factor. Certainly they knew this. You know, Roosevelt, he really had a significant effect on the American psyche as well as the economy and made a, a huge difference in World War II. But Kennedy would have had a similar uh, hold on the American public. And, it's, and I think we would be less uh, conservative, less violent. I think war breeds more violence and callousness in society. 
Uh, Kennedy was a man, as he says in the film, a man of peace, because he'd been in war. He'd been a decorated combat uh, veteran. He knew what the meaning of it was. He said to himself, you know, you can't follow the generals. You can't believe these generals. You know, he was that kind of man who called the shots as they saw him. He saw it coming. And he says that we do not need a world of Pax Americana, American peace supported by weapons of war, which is where we're at now. We're into a world that's highly rigid and stigmatized by the difference between various enemies that we call them enemies, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. Europe, you're, you're from Europe. Europe is a, in a sense, a captive satellite of the United States. You're under our nuclear umbrella. I don't think any of this would have happened uh, if the Kennedy ethos had succeeded. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that's, that's actually ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's, so that's where I wanted to start this conversation. I guess JG Michael from Parallax View is here. I don't, I mean, I guess Gene hasn't let him in yet, but, um, so the, the first topic I, I wanted to uh, talk about with this is like the limits of liberal conspiracy theories, because, you know, as much as Oliver Stone has kind of been derided for as long as he has, um, he's, he's basically just um, a, a liberal, right? Like when it really comes down to it, like he's kind of disillusioned. He kind of has what I call um, new atheist brain in the sense of like, you know, he's gone so far into the like to, I mean, he's, he's just, he's fully invested in the like, us is evil uh other places like russia and china are good which you know everything is complicated and nuanced i'd say and the limits of where his imagination can go is kennedy as president would completely change the status quo for whatever reason and i think people like jim garrison who wrote the uh on the trail of the assassins that this is based on kind of suffers from the same thing as much as they they want to make the point that the u.s is bad they don't touch on imperialism necessarily they don't touch on completely changing our economic system that you know really, um, you know, creates this military industrial complex. It's just, well, you know, if Kennedy had survived, we'd be saved. I think these guys are fundamentally radical libs, radical liberals in that, that they are liberal, but they're of a variety in which they at least want to cri cri critique some of the veneers of how the institutions work. I definitely don't think that they are interested in displacing capitalism per se. Even if they do, I think they're more kind of fetishizing a kind of Keynesian FDR reboot. And I also believe that um, as much uh, fracas as they would make in terms of criticizing the way America operates geostrategically in the world, what fundamentally makes them uh, uh, liberal in my mind is that I think that Stone as well as his ilk, and I think a lot of that is generational as well, right? They fundamentally believe America is not only potentially a force of good in the world, but that America has the, it's the job of America to be a force of good in the world. And the problem that America has is that it's derelicting its duty as being a force of good in the world. And I think that their actual analysis suffers from a fundamental unwillingness to accept what Gore Vidal accepted many times, and he talked about clearly before he died, he died is that America is an empire, all right? and em empires are not designed to be forces of good in the world. Empires exist for promoting their own existence and accumulation of wealth, power, capital, and geostrategic 
sovereignty over the, the dominions and control of various international perspectives on the planet. And I think that the fundamental problem that he has is that he's unable to reconcile that, that what Amer- that's what America really is. I'm actually very interested to hear what the, our friend Cuba thinks about this. Well, I, I agree with you largely. Uh, and I think that with Oliver Stone and many, um, many sort of artists, thinkers, writers of his generation, there's a, um, they were raised when the um, traditional national myths of the United States were still, still had very powerful currency. And the way that criticism was couched was always, well, maybe this is what America is doing now, or people are doing this in the name of America, but that's not really what America is about. And that these are departures, derelictions of the liberal duty of the United States to be a a force for good in the world. And I think that that moralism is a big part of the problem. They, and it, it makes Oliver Stone treat this Kennedy assassination as a kind of Christian fall from grace, that the United States was in a condition of innocence or at least in a, an optimistic, um, you know, upright, trying its best, having a goodwill. Maybe things don't always work out, but, you know, we still beat the Nazis. We're still the good guys. And um, you could have faith in the institutions and the elite leadership class to uh, do its best, morally speaking. And then you have this, you know, the serpent in the form of the military industrial con- um, complex enters Camelot, uh, if I can mix metaphors. And uh, <laughs> King Arthur gets gets clipped, and all of a sudden you have this extraordinarily unsavory reality, um, a kind of hostile takeover of the apparatus of governance and um, creatures like Richard Nixon or Ronald Reagan or George H.W. Bush, who, um, who has a long, long history with the CIA and other parts of the... Um, the literally literally the CIA director for a couple of years. Exactly. And uh, the CIA director at the moment where the CIA was most vulnerable as well. So I think that that drive to moralize American history, to insist that the roots of the United States are exceptional and that there was a mission that the United States was on to introduce democracy and a better way of doing things in the world. It's very difficult for Americans who were brought up at the center, especially, you know, white middle-class um, Americans that have been exposed to this their whole lives, especially in that mid-century period when everything, you could make a plausible case to that group that everything was going fine. Just trust the government. We, we beat Hitler. We're standing up to the, the evil commies. Um, there's the great society. There's civil rights. Things are improving. The system works. And the, when reality strikes, 
and you see the operation of power in a naked form, like with the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the prosecution of the Vietnam War, other major political and international developments of that era. The assassination of uh, RFK. In a RFK, Martin Luther similar. King. Yeah. Yes. And the um, there's a shock that comes with that. And I think that the most, um, you know, Pascal has one take, which is that, you know, empires do what empires do. They don't exist to serve a moral purpose. They, they exist to accumulate power. Um, I, I'd go further and say that, you know, that's the basis of statecraft. That is an international competition when you have states that are existential threats to one another, where there's the possibility of, um, you know, ending the entire elite of a country or maybe the entire country itself through, um, outside violence you have very ruthless types of um, policy that are enacted and the you can try to get away from that i'm not saying that it's inevitable to have um, the cia going around assassinating everybody that gets in their way but that is the condition that um that prevails unless you're going to do something about it I mean, this 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 absolute absurdity <clears throat> that we hear Stone talking about is like, oh, JFK was a man of peace, and if he had lived, I was like, didn't JFK create the Peace Corps to basically be a subversive force throughout the third world, developing world, in order to basically spy on people covertly, in order to make sure they didn't become communists? I mean, what are you that's talking about? JFK thing, was a man right? of like, peace. If you're an anti-communist American liberal, you're, you're describing the no most noble thing you can do similarly if you're an ultra catholic then the jesuits um aren't fanatical um religious fundamentalists bent on um subverting every other um spiritual order on earth and enslaving everyone to the pope they're the soldiers of christ doing god's work on earth so if you're if you belong to that American uh, moral universe, if that's the way that you view the world, then the Peace Corps is something beautiful. Um, it's only when you're on the other side of the equation and you apply a different framework to it that it starts looking like the way you described. Um, uh, JG, did you have a chance to see the clip that we're talking about in the yes. beginning? Yes, I did. Um, yeah, it's. I think Oliver Stone's a very interesting person because I, I think his views on some things have changed since JFK. Um, I know that since he's worked with uh, Peter Kuznick on the untold history of the United States, uh, that he seems to think the national security state and its uh, malfeasances go back long before Kennedy, um, even going back to uh, World War II with the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I think what's interesting for me about Stone is you, you can tell movies like this are very personal to him because I feel like what drives Stone in a lot of his films like JFK is the feeling that he was lied to about Vietnam. And of course he served in Vietnam. So I think that plays a really huge role in this film. Uh, you, you can tell that he's very invested in this idea that we were lied to. And I do think that it's true 
there's aspects of the film that I find uh, off-putting, like when we have the Donald Sutherland character, Mr. X, who I believe is based on Elf Fletcher Prouty, yeah. uh, talking yeah, about... No, that's, that's, it's, it's Stone basically in conversation, I believe, with Elf Fletcher Prouty. Um, yeah. Which, is, which makes it kind of a jarring moment, because it's Stone inserting himself into the Jim Garrison character uh, for, that, <laughs> for that scene. Well, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when Prouty's talking, he mentions Operation Ajax, uh, the uh, whole overthrow of Mossadegh that happened uh, on the CIA's watch. And I'm like, well, it doesn't sound like we were too good before Kennedy got shot. So, you know, uh, I feel like it's a very weird film in that regard because there's hints given that, you know, the problems of the national security state apparatus have existed with us far longer than Kennedy's death. And yet he seems to just focus on Kennedy's death as the starting point. Well, I, and I think that, I think that, you know, a lot of leftists fall into a, a similar thing with uh, the Sanders campaign in both 2016 and in uh, 2020, where there's this belief that, you know, it was an exit ramp. It's our last exit ramp. Like electing Bernie Sanders somehow would have been our one, our, our last exit ramp, um, you know, uh, after like climate crisis, inequality, um, you know, all of these things. And in, in a similar way, I think for people of Stone's generation, they feel like JFK would have been their one exit ramp. And I don't think it bears out because I think that JFK would have automatically folded very quickly to the uh, security, like the, the intelligence, security and military establishment and probably continued his invasion of, of Vietnam. I think it's really, um, you know, I think it's really naive to think that when he said that he wanted to stop our invasion of Vietnam, like we'll start, stop bringing troops into Vietnam um, on the ground that, you know, he would have somehow pushed against that in some brilliant way that, you know, no one else could possibly do. Um, it's, it's tricky because there are personal powers that belong to the United States president and they're up. An individual can make a difference. It's not just the, the grinding of the bureaucratic gears between different segments of you know, the military, the civil bureaucracy, congressional interests, large corporations. A pre for instance, you know, Joe Biden got out of Afghanistan. If it were not for him, if the bureaucratic gears kept grinding, then uh, that exit would have never happened. There were all of the institutional interests in Washington were lined up for permanent occupation. So, you know, who knows what Kennedy would have done, but I agree that there's this um, blindness to the um, to the power of that of those institutions and to the fact that they've always been there. They predate Kennedy, um, you know. Maybe in uh, the Red Scare launched by Woodrow Wilson, um, tapped a lot of the kind of domestic powers that would later be used by the FBI. Um, if you go back far enough, you know, then you get to a point where there just wasn't enough technological sophistication, enough population density to have a security apparatus along modern lines. But that's how you have, that's how far back you have to go to avoid um, the the issue of creating these powerful bureaucracies and but you but you still see that on a on a on mm -hmm. a corporate level right like the pinkertons mm -hmm. like 
forces like that kind of create a um you know maybe a private but still a mm -hmm. a national um like like a national intelligence apparatus that operates between a lot of large corporations um like even in the late 1800s you know like no like well, later, i think yeah. you'd, you'd probably have to go back to and, and that's the thing there's um at the start of the united states you have repression surveillance the security apparatus but on the level of plantations and operating at the level of families and localities and in a lot of ways the disputes between the the different colonies at the beginning of uh, american history were questions of whether or not that power would stay in private hands or at best in the hands of the state or whether it would go up to the national level and it's just less efficient if you handle it locally but if you handle it locally the people who that power devolves to me meaning like local oligarchs plantation owners um the machine politicians are very happy because they don't answer to anybody yeah um but in a yeah, similar the, way that nationally um the cia mm -hmm. seems to not have answered to anybody for you know until the church committee really like um you know i as much as kennedy uh fired alan dulles and and fired kind of the upper echelon of the cia you know they were still very much operating as private private um contractors pretty much you know like like behind the scenes um i guess i want to switch to talking about the movie itself and uh i i wanted to talk about how many amazing actors are in this movie and um playing playing really it's an you know, ensemble cast yeah and and they're really they're playing i mean this is not a movie that was going to be received well by um you know the liberal elite or the conservative elite you know people that are trying to push back against the notion that like the warren report was flawed in any way and considering like considering how controversial that everybody knew that this movie was going to be he, he got like heavyweights you know what i mean like i think i don't know why people don't talk about this as like one of joe pesci's top performances because he shows a like more nuance i think uh as as dave ferry than he does in in any of the scorsese movies um similarly with with tommy lee jones uh you know with 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 the role as clay shaw like and and i think that the, the gay orgy scene uh, you know which is kind of a flashback and you know you don't necessarily know if it's really happening or if it's kind of in the minds of jim garrison and and, and you know people because this is kind of what he's assuming has happened but just you know it's hilarious like that they're walking in like the the um like 1700s clothing and he, he fucking does the line of coke off the thing and then he's like grabbing the guys and like I, this it's a it's an amazing scene and i don't think that joe pesci would have necessarily done that in any other movie um i think one of the things that's most vivid in terms of my memory of this film was the reaction of the then bush the father administration when the film came out i don't know if you guys remember but he literally came out publicly and was like this is a horrible horrible movie <laughs> and i was like i don't remember how many films the president of the united states in my memory comes out and condemns just off the top of the head but he he made a public statement about this film and uh did so to condemn it and i found that you know, not to say an, an episode of me thinks she does protest too much, but definitely rather fascinating. Well, I, I, I think just that wanted that to. Comes down to. 
No, go on. I'm sorry. Uh, so just to tie back with something that we talked about before, I think that what's very maddening for somebody like George H.W. Bush is that the events are probably there's enough correspondence to truth so you can't dismiss it as delusional um although but, many tried but the <laughs> it, it is at least plausible um, i just but the moral universe the moral lens that's placed on it is the opposite of what somebody like george w bush would think right like the um Cuban exiles are freedom fighters, right? Just like our brave friends, the Mujahideen, the, um, all of these operators and contacts and, um, informants are heroes of America. And here they're being portrayed as shady, as disreputable, as, you know, um, effeminate, right? And that, that hurts, right? What, what I wanted to add to that was, I, I think people actually forget how much of a stir this movie caused. I mean, there was a bit of a panic in the media over this film. Uh, we're sort of seeing a new panic now with Spike Lee in his 9-11 documentary series. Uh, people are complaining about him having a truther in it. And uh, I'm not a truther myself, but I find some of this, you know, uh, media reaction to things like JFK or this upcoming Spike Lee documentary to be a little bit... I mean, just bluntly over the top. And, you know, the world didn't end when JFK came out, and it's not going to end when the Spike Lee documentary series comes out on 9-11. And I find it interesting, uh, you know, a lot of the complaints about Oliver Stone's JFK were that they were undermining trust in our institutions. And, you know, I've always chuckled a bit at that because to me it seems like, you know, things like Iran-Contra, Watergate, um, everything else under the sun, the BCCI scandal, uh, and now uh, with the Iraq war, everything else, uh, that would seem to be a bigger blow to institutional credibility than a movie like JFK or a Spike Lee documentary. Yeah, I would, and there's this mantra kind of after uh, the Warren Report comes out and people are kind of doubting it, have faith in our government, have faith in our government, have faith in our government. And, you know, instead of refuting the points that, you know, critics of the Warren Report really make, the, the mantra going forward with both JFK, the movie, and the Warner Report criticism is, you know what, like maybe some loose ends can't get tied up, but you need to have faith in our government. And so I, I think it's interesting, um, Oliver Stone especially, being someone who, you know, would be considered like a war hero for his service in Vietnam, getting disillusioned in that moment. And then he sees, you know, the Kennedy presidency, the, the assassination as kind of uh, the end of the off-ramp. Um, from there. And I, it's understandable in some ways, because I think that like Eisenhower had an, you know, unbelievable impact in creating the military industrial complex the way we see it now. Um, I, it wasn't obviously created under him. It wasn't something that he had formed. But, you know, leaving the Dulles brothers in charge of his foreign policy did have a huge impact in, in how our foreign policy has worked since then. The, uh, the Iran coup, the Guatemala coup, like these are things that even Truman, who had pushed the, who created the CIA and had pushed for a lot of these things to, to you know, um, be the way that they are, didn't go as far as that. So it's, it's, it's understandable, I think, in some ways that the, the moment that Oliver Stone becomes disillusioned is the Kennedy assassination. Well, I think that it comes down to um, 
this notion of American exceptionalism and this faith in the unique moral character and moral mission of the United States. And generally speaking, most Americans break down into two different strains of exceptionalists. There's um, the people who believe that, um, and I put Oliver Stone in this category, that America is exceptional because of what it has done or what it does or what it could do. That, you know, it created democracy, it's uh, defeated Hitler. These are good things. America is good for those reasons. And if America starts doing bad things, then it's undercutting its own identity. And then there's people who believe the, the other tribe says that America is exceptional because of what it is. And it doesn't matter what America does. It remains exceptional. It remains better. It remains moral. It remains good. It remains the protagonist of history. My country, yeah. right or wrong. Exactly. And um, the if to have um, and, you know, generally speaking, the culture wars are a shouting contest between these two groups. Even the whole 1619 project, which is taken as extraordinarily radical, is kind of the Oliver Stone position taken to another extreme that um, look, we were doing terrible un-American stuff even before there was an America, so we should be really upset about this. Um, the, you know, my own position is that it's human history. It is just a bunch of different abominations by different people looking for any kind of, you know, helpful narrative or um, trying to find evidence for your your favorite national myths is a fool's errand. And the best that we can hope is, you know, let's not do, let's not repeat all that stuff. You know, now we know what, where those types of policies and those types of plans, those types of projects got us. Maybe we should stop. But um, that investment in creating a pleasing, reassuring, you know, trustworthy narrative for American politics, for American government, for the American state. That's something that um, the media, you know, and most American intellectuals are just fundamentally invested in. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, I, I found, I found a clip that I thought was interesting, which is um, Gary Oldman's uh, evolution, I guess, from believing that originally like after meeting everyone that that um had talked to oswald like his friends his family like all like all these people gary oldman was was pretty um was pretty open about the fact that he believed that uh you know oswald didn't act alone and there was a conspiracy and oswald hadn't killed anybody and then i found a clip from a lot you know, a lot more recently where he's introducing the movie on like bbc4 or something or film 4 and he's talking about how now he saw one documentary and he believes that oswald acted alone and I don't know, I wanted to get everybody's uh, thoughts on that. Gene? Do you have the Oswald clip? Lee Harvey Oswald has been painted as one of the darkest figures in American history, but Gary Oldman had no trouble taking his side. You found sympathy? Yeah, you didn't kill anyone. Oswald was a character that raises scores of questions. Gary Oldman went to great lengths to find his own answers. I, uh read a ton of books, met uh, a thousand people, um, met Marina, met his daughters, 
met people that knew him in New Orleans, met people that knew him in Dallas, met a very, very, very close friend of his, which was a real coup, probably one of the closest people to Lee Harvey Oswald in New Orleans. And he told me some stuff that... Like? I can't tell you, no. Yeah, you know. Did you know that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't like the dark? Did you know that every morning Lee Harvey Oswald used to eat an ice cream cone? Did you know that he couldn't stand people who he couldn't predict? He didn't like physical labor too much. All sorts of little things. Well, I would have... <laughs> um, I, I would have to say Oswald. <laughs> he didn't do it. <laughs> um, uh, that was just a, a great... That, that was an ex, a sort of very exceptional experience because there was very, there was very little of, of, of Oswald on the page. And I became a... I guess I was asked to become a kind of investigator, a detective. And Oliver Stone said, you know, he gave me some money and some airline tickets and said, you know, just go, to, go, to, go off and find out who this guy was. Um, and... So that's a, that, that is a personal, that, 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 that's a personal favourite. I think uh, probably true romance. And at the time, I th thought to myself, no way. How, how on earth could anyone pull to achieve this? Um, I've since recently watched a documentary um, where they put this theory forward that he in fact indeed was the lone gunman and it convinced me it had me t t turning it around um but at the time um i thought that his hypothesis or theory um of of what had happened um was 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 a very was a very good one yeah so I guess I wanted to throw it to Cuba and ask, uh, so did the CIA get to Gary Oldman, finally? Well, no, I think that um, the it's... Um, when you have one theory and you hear a plausible different case, I don't know who narrated that documentary that Gary Oldman saw, but I bet he had an awesome voice maybe a, the appropriate accent to convey gravitas and seriousness. The, um, you know, like 1950s man or something. And Well, look over that, it, see? <laughs> In that moment. The, the uh, yeah, you really think that someone with the Soviet sniper training couldn't hit a moving target in an open vehicle on a sunny day? Um, the Oswald acted alone. And if you don't believe that, you're an idiot. <laughs> Or cracker jack the um the uh, but um yeah like there's ways of presenting all kinds of theories that are uh, very persuasive i don't think that gary oldman has a lot of sort of forensic um forensic science or ballistics experience or uh detailed org chart of the deepest parts of the deep state so he just he's an actor you know he's used to stories so if you tell him um more persuasive story in a better way then that's receptive it, he's, he's receptive to that most people are um and the truth is that unless there's some special information 
that one is privy to something like the Kennedy assassination, which is a seminal event and all kinds of incomplete information, all kinds of gaps, all kinds of conflicting stories that um, lends itself to getting decided by who can make their particular theory into the most legitimate, most authoritative sounding story. Yeah, but it's interesting because, you know, he had talked to people that actually knew Oswald and, you know, friends, like associates, including like Marina, who was his wife. Like, it's interesting to go from that to believing, I guess, because of the documentary presented, I mean, probably in a in a nice, sleek way, as they often are, that, um, you know, that, that something that you've believed for 30 years, you know, it happened the way that you were told it was in the first place. Also, one thing that I found telling was um, the types of roles that he played since JFK. One of them, one of the subtitles was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So he's through, the, if you chart the different characters he plays, you'll be able to track his political, foreign policy, organizational uh, education. Because what he'll do he'll specialize in a particular role um although <clears throat> i'm not saying that you know if you asked him when he was making harry potter he said that you know voldemort did it but i think that playing first playing lee harvey oswald you over identify with lee harvey oswald he couldn't do it then you start playing people on the other side of the ledger and you listen to them a little more seriously i mean not to say that we're reading too much into this but maybe we're reading too much into this <laughs> maybe he was he was talking that party line jazz around the time of the movie to promote the movie because he's like okay i'm in this movie the more i keep in line with you know the theme of the movie the more people will say oh wow gary oh he doesn't believe the the, the party line story about oswald being the uh, assassin we definitely got to go see him in this movie. And, you know, he, he played that out as long as he could until, you know, the, uh, you know, the residual stopped coming. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I mean, I didn't mean to have it read into that much. I just thought it was an interesting kind of, uh, uh, I guess, comparison of clips that I had found um, trying to do research for this. But, um, yeah, so one more thing I want to talk about with the movie is that I think that Oliver Stone sees this as kind of a, an updated version of Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, because the scene where, uh, Jim Garrison is walking through the Capitol, um, there's that like amazing shot of the, the Lincoln Memorial behind him, which is the same shot that, um, you know, Jimmy Stewart walks in front of, uh, in Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's like a pretty much identical scene. So I, I thought that was something that I had noticed during it. That, and, you know, very similarly, it's kind of a movie about being disillusioned with your government. I mean, in a much earlier sense, but still. One other thing I want to interject as well, which is, I mean, it may seem difficult for today's audience to keep in mind, right, is that JFK, the film, is produced and put into the public thoroughfare just before the internet truly penetrates into the consciousness and utility of American society. So uh, people have to realize that a film, a mainstream Hollywood film, that's causing a challenge to a dominant narrative of such a historical event 
before the advent of the internet and the rise of the kind of conspiracy-laden world that comes about subsequent to the rise of the internet, I, I think it might be difficult for some people who are of a younger age to understand how jarring that was at the time to the establishment. I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on that as well. Uh, JG, you haven't, you haven't I'm said just, I'm just really glad, to be honest, that um, you know some of the JFK records got released because of this film. Because I, I think regardless of uh, whether people believe there was a conspiracy or not, we sort of need more transparency now than ever. Uh, and I think it would do a lot of good to uh, release the last of the records. And I know there's a few people like Larry Schnapp. He's an environmental lawyer out of New York who's trying to get the last of the records released. I, I think that was one very good thing to come out of this film. It got a lot of records released uh, related to the JFK assassination. And it did, I think, anger a lot of people for that reason. It had a real public impact. Yeah, and I think that um, one thing, it, the movie actually almost seems quaint in retrospect. Because after the internet, after um, 4chan, after the, you can mainline whatever you want whatever conspiracy theory you want whatever um whatever a uh, worldview you want you know the nazbol flowering um it seems so domesticated but it was really I, I wanted to, at the time i wanted to add something to that because so everyone knows that my show is in part based on the slavoj zizek book with the title uh parallax view and also in another part i take the title from the movie the Parallax View, uh, which is another sort of JFK assassination movie, but it doesn't use, I mean, it's based on the assassination, but it doesn't actually use JFK as a character. But uh, The Parallax View was made in, I think, 74. It's the, I, I don't know if it's the second in the trilogy, uh, but there was a trilogy of films, uh, Clute, All the President's Men, and The Parallax View. It was all by the same director. And, you know, I really, really like that film. And in a lot of ways, I like it a lot more. And it's sort of because what you were saying, Kuba, uh, the parallax view takes a much more cynical and really dark view of things. The way it ends is the same way it begins with a sort of Warren type commission covering things up. And there's something really horrific about it. And also it's interesting, the parallax view tries to argue that we're all sort of complicit in where America is headed and you know the way things pan out that all of us are sort of complicit in the empire in a way that i don't think jfk does i feel like you know especially with the ending of the movie you know there's that whimsical sort of uh, garrison's walking away but he hasn't given up and we're gonna still march on for the truth and it, it just feels very folksy and very uh optimistic and that's one thing i i didn't like as much about this film compared to the parallax view i think the parallax view took a much harder stance of saying, well, what's our complicity in the sort of world we live in and in a world that has such violence as the Vietnam War? Um, and I didn't really get that out of uh, JFK. I felt like it was sort of a movie about, oh, Jim Garrison is fighting for the truth and the truth will march on even when he passes. And I don't well, know. I thought that was... Different, it's two different, I mean, times, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the 90s are completely different than you know the 70s when people kind of have this moment of maximum uh disillusionment between the church committee watergate like all of that kind of happening at once this shattering of also our national 
right? It, I, I have to come on and say the parallax view is definitely a superior movie to JFK, way superior. Mm -hmm. So, who who, who I, I think I brainwashing <laughs> sequence from the parallax view um, whenever I need to be cheered up? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's also interesting. Uh, you know, while watching it, I had a lot of um, there's a lot of great performances in it. I was actually surprised watching it again. I did not realize how much Michael Rooker, who's now very famous for being in the James Gunn movies all of a sudden, he's in a lot of them, sort of one of his stock players. He was also uh, the lead in Henry portrait of a serial killer really great actor i was impressed by how much he was in it i didn't remember him being in it that much as uh bill broussard and i actually felt sympathy young. for him uh because you know they sort of get to him uh near the i think second or third act uh, but i also really liked sissy spacek in this movie and i could sort of relate to where she was coming from like um hey jim what about and in a way, I almost was sort of on her side in a way. Maybe he was letting things get to him too much. I was curious to what you guys thought of those performances, though. Yeah, I mean, so have any of you guys read On the Trail of the Assassins, um, the, the Jim Garrison book? So um, it's like the, the – I, I listened to it on an audiobook like this week when I was preparing for this because that's like the, the book that this movie is really based on more than anything else. And it's Jim Garrison's like account of this whole um, court case. And it's interesting that the Bill Burchard character, they downplayed a lot um, what was actually happening at the time with, he had this guy in his office that he had to get rid of. Number one, there were multiple CIA moles in, in Jim Garrison's office that um, were uncovered by Mark Lane. And he had given this guy access to the record room, pretty much, like to copy all of his files. That guy turned out to be CIA. The guy that was going around that he was giving money to to investigate witnesses that guy turned out to be CIA. He like kind of opened his doors when the media coverage hit and all these like CIA agents just kind of poured in and they kind of just believed that those people were going to just be like, you know, people that just wanted to help them out. And, you know, in the middle of that kind of happening, this Bill Burchard character who had a different name, he was like Jim Garrison's army buddy, um, ended up kind of uh, like fucking up the investigation getting uh, let go in, in a very similar like scene where it's like, you know, the ultimatum is given and um, you know, it's the, it's the other guy or him. And like this, that whole thing does happen. And then um, he ends up suing Jim Garrison and being like the, the nail in his coffin with the CIA because uh, he takes him to court after creating like this weird, like crime apparatus that he's saying, Oh, I used to work at the DA's office. If you win this case, like it was because of me, I fixed it for you not telling Jim Garrison any of that. So it's interesting they downplayed all of that stuff, which would have made the narrative a lot more confusing. So I understand why they did, but, you know, kind of just having like the government get to him and him being a, a careerist, um, you know, is, 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 a uh, is an interesting way to play it. And I, and I do think Sissy, uh, I, th I think that that role as his wife is extremely uh, sympathetic because he is letting it consume him. And it's something that isn't really, you know, it doesn't really, um, affect their family i mean as much as he wants to say like you know i i think that it affects our family because our kids are going to grow up in a world where they don't know the truth but like it's not i mean it's not really going to affect their family and he's letting it become an obsession and he's kind of it's kind of an asshole move from her perspective so so there's one more thing i have to add because uh i don't know how long we're going i, I think we're coming up no, against we're, the yeah, hour we're, we're cutting at the hour so okay i i just wanted to add this just for the uh the, the paranoids in attendance in the audience. One really interesting tidbit about this movie is that it's produced by 
Arnon Milchan, who if you don't know who Arnon Milchan is, he's an admitted, well, he admittedly has claimed that he spied on the U.S. for Israel. And uh, I've talked to Eric Hemberg about this. Uh, you know, apparently Milchan's a very odd figure. I think he even had connections to uh, people involved with Iran-Contra. Uh, but he ran this thing called the, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, his his organization was called the Heli Trading Company, which brokered uh, transactions to get nuclear trigger, triggers uh, for Israel from the U.S. Uh, very odd character, but I, I just always thought it was interesting that, you know, a, a sort of a Intel-connected figure was actually directly involved in financing this film. I don't think there's anything conspiratorial to that, but it's uh, one of those, like, fun facts. Hey, Gene. I, I would just like to say, as a <laughs> black Bajlan, that uh, <laughs> I'm happy to be here. And uh, JG, I've never uh, internet met you, but I am a fan of your work, and uh, it's nice to internet meet you. Thank you for joining us on this uh, this wonderful night of new Wednesday night programming. Oh, oh, there is. Uh, so he's negative, Bajlan, the white Bajlan. <laughs> Pascal, yes, sir. I miss you. Just want you to know that. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. I'm touched, truly. All right. Have a good show. <laughs> <laughs> that was our normal host, Jason Miles, who is still on vacation. But we are of, wrapping but not up. really on kind vacation. Felt like he's the on boss a... checking in on us. Right? He's, like, he literally just snuck in. He literally just snuck into the program. And then started moving you all around, and I was panicking. I was like, why is everything moving? And then I was like, I know exactly why this is happening. Somebody <laughs> is broken, and then I scroll down, and... <laughs> I totally snuck in. I totally snuck in. You oh, couldn't crap. resent. We're going to check our timesheets next. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm set. All right, so um, we're about to wind down. I guess we have to end this in the next five minutes. Um I don't know if you guys want to join. We're doing an after after show that I was originally going to do as a paywall thing, but I think I'm just going to have it be public. Where we're going to be talking to uh, Jim. Uh, how do you, uh, D. Jim Eugenio, author of uh, JFK Revisited, which is uh, the new movie coming out from Oliver Stone. I think it's JFK Revisited through the Looking Glass, which is yeah. one of the famous lines in the movie. Uh, he's written a lot about JFK in the past. I don't know. It's probably been like thirty plus years now. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to be talking to him about um, getting into kind of a lot more details about the uh, the, the JFK assassination conspiracies. Um, I think 10 minutes after this show, we're going to be going live on my YouTube channel, Movie Night Extravaganza. Um, and we're going to, he's going to be joining us at 1030 Eastern time. So everybody else's time, 730, if you're in the Pacific. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing these movie streams once a month. Um, on, on the This Is Revolution channel. Um, haven't planned out the next one yet, but... Um, Parallax View. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that would be... Do you want to do Parallax View for the next one? We got. We ought to do Parallax View, and also we have to do Executive Action. That's the trifecta of JFK conspiracy movies. And you have to do the one where they do the fake Mars mission. Capricorn... <laughs> Capricorn... Capricorn 1 with O.J. Simpson. Yes, Capricorn 1 with O.J. Simpson. The greatest actor of all time. Wasn't hey, Naked Executive... Gun was a great movie. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing uh, Naked Gun as a as a movie night extravaganza episode with uh, Natalie Schur on um, so twenty first. I believe. Just to, to clarify for some of the people in our chat, Janice Graham being one of them, is that we do not show the movies on this movie night extravaganza. We comment on films that we choose before the show. This today's film was JFK by Oliver Stone, and we have a discussion about you know the show, the politics of the show, what the show, the movie, what the movie means, what the movie's about. But we will still be having our own This Is Revolution movie nights, which we haven't had in a while, where we show a film with our patrons in the Discord. The last one we did was The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which, by the way, did very well with our patrons. But we have not yet scheduled our next movie light. We will be doing these with our man Forrest, always Flacco, once a month on Wednesdays. He also has his own YouTube channel called Movie Night Extravaganza backslash YouTube. Is that mistake? Is that correct? Yeah, youtube.com slash movie night extravaganza. That's correct. Uh, and uh, he's going to be continuing the conversation in a few minutes with someone who has some expertise in the area as well. Is that correct, Brother Flago? Yep, that's 100% correct. Um, yeah, I, I really wish you, like, you could do live things where you actually watch the movie and, and comment on it live, but, you know, YouTube... Is never going to allow that <laughs> unless you pick something from like 1930 or something that's been put into the public domain or foreign movies from um disfavored governments yeah all right uh, north so... korean north korean ip does is no good um over here <laughs> all right so i guess uh we should probably cut it here and then we'll be going live on my channel in about uh 10 minutes um, thank you everyone for joining. I had, you know, this was, this was fun to watch and really get into the weeds with. Um, and I hope to continue to do that in this post game stream. And in the spirit of our show and our normal theme, we are.